Hello, it's Shelley F. Knight, bringing you Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. show we're joined by the author Andrew Seaton so hello Andrew hello Shelley thank you so much for joining us today so please do share with us your story of positive change well uh, there have been many many downs in my life as well as the many ups <laughs> um, and uh, one of the very big ones that I experienced, big down, big challenge, was about five years ago when after several years, I finally managed to end the marriage that I was in, had been in for 30 odd years. Uh, and it wasn't an unhappy marriage, but I had begin uh, had begun to feel for a number of years somehow it's no longer right. Uh, and this was a huge challenge for me. A, because it's not like, you know, we fought all the time. So then I could sort of say, well, damn it, I've had that and more count. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it wasn't that uh, kind of a situation. Uh, and even though I felt the need to leave my wife, uh, I cared deeply about her still. And so this was an additional psychological burden, an emotional burden, uh, and a kind of beliefs in inverted commas kind of burden about, um, you know, uh, obligation and loyalty and all those sorts of things. So I, yeah. I had to uh, really grapple very, uh, in, a, in, a, in a fairly protracted way, with that challenge of how to leave somebody I cared about, but just feeling that it was no longer was right for me. Um, and there were other challenges in amongst this big change that took place in my life five years ago. But as I say, I did eventually get to a point where <laughs> one day somehow, you know, my, uh, my wife asked me what I was doing and I was using some sort of divination technique it wasn't tarot cards but you know something like that to, yeah. to try and give me an answer you know <laughs> should I should I leave or should I stay or whatever and somehow you know she asked me what are you doing and it was early in the morning and I and I just somehow managed to blurt it out and I, I said well I think I have to leave and uh, then it you know it flowed from there and a month later I I did we sort of took our time and you know I made my plans and um, <clears throat> set up a situation where uh, my exiting was not going to have things fall in a heap. We were living on a, uh, a, a hobby farm at that time um, and sort of off grid. And so there were things that I needed to uh, put in place to, to make it more manageable for my 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 wife my now ex to kind of manage keeping on thing keeping things going and I was the one that was going to depart the scene you know but this was a huge emotional challenge for me and as I say I eventually got to a point where I managed to say I needed to leave and I did leave 
that still wasn't making it easy. I mean, I still had all the emotion uh, of a separation uh, of after a, uh, quite a long marriage, 30 odd years. Uh, as I say, somebody I cared about, not really having a plan B <laughs> for myself, you know. I, uh, and so there, were, there was all this stuff, but without making the broader aspects of what that challenge involved for me, that change, just the aspect of leaving my uh, wife was very, very difficult. And it took me several years after having left that I managed to come to terms emotionally with that whole experience. I had all sorts of turbulent emotions, uh, not only leading up, but even more so following uh, making the decision and, uh, to leave and actually uh, departing. Um, and so this helped me to process things that I had come to understand in the past, but had never really grappled with uh, uh, effectively or so uh, intensively. It helped me to uh, discover the uh, tremendous effectiveness of, first of all, <clears throat> recognizing that the emotional reaction that we have to the things that we experience are not due to what we've experienced. I found myself that, uh, to put it back in the first person, it wasn't the fact of having left my wife that caused me emotional turmoil. It was because there were times when I was, you know, it had still happened, right? <laughs> A month later or six months later or 12 months later, it had still happened, but I felt fine. Yeah. I had good days and good moments and, you know, lots of that, uh, but a lot of turmoil along with it. So what I came to understand was that it wasn't having left my wife that caused me problems, that caused me guilt, that caused me loneliness, that caused me to feel I'd been disloyal, to feel uh, re regret that, uh, you know, my wife was hurting my, my wife. Well, for, for a while it was my wife still, and then eventually it was my ex. So, but what I realized was that when I felt bad, it was because a thought had popped up in my mind that said, it's bad what happened, or I'm bad because of what I did, or if the situation is bad because of this reason. And I started to see very clearly in, in, in relation to this and other things that happened in my life, this tremendously liberating insight that it's not what I experience that ever troubles me. It, what troubles me is when I have a thought that pops up in my mind and I believe the thought yeah. that says what I'm experiencing is bad or what has just happened is bad or what that person said to me is bad or what I said to that person is bad. This is what triggers all the negative emotions. So, um, uh, here's something that uh, I can pass on to your listeners, Shelley, in regards to this. There's a, there's a couple of things, actually. Um, and I don't know if we're getting out of sync with the kind of questions that you wanted to, to, to ask me or not. But, but um, you know, when, when anybody feels then troubled by an emotion, the first thing to do that it can be very helpful uh, in dissolving the intensity of the emotion uh, in the short term can be first of all to 
notice, first of all, acknowledge that you're feeling a particular emotion. So if I was feeling, for example, at certain times lonely, first thing would be to, to notice and acknowledge, yes, wow, really at the moment I'm feeling very lonely. But then here's the thing that really helps to dissolve the power and the intensity of the emotion. When I would shift from, okay, I'm feeling lonely or I am lonely. When I said to myself, I am the awareness that's noticing a feeling of loneliness. It put a space between who I truly am, the observing formless awareness that's, that notices my experience throughout my life. That's always been me, this noticer of the thoughts that pop up, of the emotions that arise, of the things that I perceive and so forth. Now, for most of my life, I was very identified with the thoughts that came up, with the emotions that came up. I kind of felt like they were me and I was yeah. those things as they happened. But what I began doing, learning to do, and, and it, it, it became easier and easier and more effective as things went on, I noticed that I was the quiet, observing awareness, noticing an emotion arising, for example. So when I began to feel lonely, I would say, okay, yeah, I am, I'm lonely. I'm feeling, oh, I feel lonely. And then I would say to myself, I'm the awareness, or sometimes I would say I'm the formless awareness that's noticing a feeling of loneliness. And this immediately put a space between who I truly am and the emotion of loneliness as an example. And what happened? Wow, amazing. The feeling of a loneliness would lose its intensity. Um, and then I would take another step um, and uh, ask myself the question, okay, so there's this feeling of loneliness, for example, that's arisen, or a feeling of you know, guilt because uh, you know, I've caused this hurt to my wife or my ex-wife as examples. And then I would say to myself, okay, I'm feeling this emotion, but what's the thought that I'm having and believing that's triggering that emotion? Yeah. So let's take the example of I was feeling lonely. So I'd first of all say I'm the awareness noticing this feeling of loneliness. That would all, all to immediately begin to reduce the intensity of the feeling. And then I'd ask myself, now what's the thought that's coming up that I'm believing that's triggering this feeling of loneliness? And it was usually something as simple as, it's bad to be alone. Yeah. And when I would say, well, okay, yeah, I'm having this thought. I can see that there is this thought, it's bad to be alone or it's wrong to be alone or you know, I, I don't want to be alone, but I am alone. And then I would ask myself, now, do I know for certain that this thought that's popped up, if I'm thinking, you know, this, this thought that it's bad to be alone, do I know for certain that it's true? Well, uh, then I would have to acknowledge, well, there's no way I can know all the flow on effects of me being here alone. So in that sense, I can't know for sure that that thought that it's bad, that I'm alone is true. And then I'd ask myself, is it possible that it could have some good outcomes? And then immediately I would have to admit, well, yes, it is possible. There are all sorts of possible things that come up, could come up. I mean, one example is 
of course, is prompting me to deal with this question about, you know, how do I manage my emotions? And, you know, just it helped me to discover what really causes my emotions, which is believing a thought rather than what I'm experiencing. That was one thing I could have, or I was able to uh, early on say, well, this is, this is a good thing, which is actually flowing out of that. And then there's another thought that, well, because I'm um, here by myself, I've actually got time, for example, now, uh, I've just written a book. Now, this being alone uh, for a few years, living alone, uh, I may never have written this book that I've just written if I hadn't found myself in this very different space, having the time, having the opportunity, having the no distractions. So then I'd have to say, well, yes, that's another thing I can see, see that, uh, you know, I quite like the fact that I've been able to write this book. And that's, that's flowed out of the fact that I was by myself a lot of the time. So, I'd, you know, more and more then I would question different, uh, in different ways I'd be able to see. I would also ask myself, well, who's noticing the thought that it's bad to be by myself? Oh, okay. Well, I'm the formless awareness that's noticing that thought that's popped up. So I'm not the thought because I'm the one that's noticing the thought. Yeah. I didn't even choose the thought. It's just sitting there. <laughs> and so silly me if I buy into it and then it causes me, or, you know, I fall into an emotional heap. And I, so these simple processes I began to use more and more and more, especially in 2017. And every, every little thing that happened through, through most days, you know, I would, I would take note of it and quickly, as it were, nip it in the bud. Look at what's thought is triggering any kind of response that I might have, even just the minor ones, you know, a little disappointment here, a little frustration there. Sometimes a bigger one, but quite often just little ones. Somebody did something very annoying in the traffic, you know, and I bang my horn. Yeah. And then I'd say, now, do I know for sure actually that it's bad that that person did that? Well, no, I can't know for sure that all the flow on effects are going to be bad. Is it possible it could have any good consequences? Well, yes, it could have. It could cause me to um, respond differently in particular kinds of traffic situations than I've done in the past to avoid that possibly. For example, if somebody cut in front of me and it you know, nearly hit me, I would then say, oh, oh well, I've, I've realized that it's actually safer to keep, keep a, a bit of a larger space between me and the car in front in case somebody else does cut in front. I mean, just a little tiny little example. Yeah. So all the time I was, I, was, I was watching the thoughts that were popping up, any emotions that might have been associated and questioning them. And when I realized increasingly, increasingly, increasingly that any thought that popped up that things were bad or my life, my life or my day in, in some way was insufficient or not, not what it should be or not what I wanted it to be, I quickly realized there's no way that I can know that those troubling thoughts are true. So the emotions ceased to come up as much. When they did come up, I could dissolve them very quickly. And a few years later, I find my life is just completely different. I have so much peace in my life almost all the time. And when something does arise that annoys me or frustrates me or whatever, I can look at it and very quickly dissolve it and come back into feeling peaceful. Yeah. And I think there's so much value in what you're saying, Andrew, because we do like label our emotions. We get very attached to them. We dive full on into them. You know, like I yes. am bored. I am lonely. I made a bad choice. And it's like self-criticism, <coughs> isn't it? And it's self-punishment. And it's, yes. it's okay to, well, I don't know if it is actually, I'll say it's okay to label it. But I think when you're aware of it, that's far more powerful and far more useful as well. 
Yes. Well, you can label what you've become aware of, but yes, you've pointed out the real trick is to not fall into identifying with it. Yeah. It's different to say, yes, I'm going to label this feeling that's arisen as anger. I'm noticing that it's a feeling of anger has arisen. That's fine to label it in that way. Yeah. It's quite different though from saying, oh, I feel so furious. You know, I, 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 yeah. no, I'm not furious. I'm the ones noticing furious. And that's, that's so incredibly different. It is totally different. And I love that because, you know, I mean, we all have to have emotions. I don't think there are good emotions and bad emotions. I think there's just emotions and, you know, there's no mistakes, it's just experience. But I love the way it's very peaceful, very mindful how you're bringing awareness to it. And then like, you know, a bit like an onion, <laughs> you're peeling back the hey, layers. Yes. Like, you know, this is what yes. it looks like. But if we start to peel yes. back, where's this coming from? Like in grief, we often see that you get really angry family members, but actually they're quite fearful when you sort of say, what's yes. beyond this fear and you go back and back and back so I I love yes. it I love the fact this sounds slightly oxymoron I love the fact you left your wife but um <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that I just see so many people clinging on to relations beyond the point where they're yes. broken but you seem to have yes, yes, like an intuitive niggle or a knowing that there was something else coming and I just love the courage that must have taken you know, like, I love the fact you walked in there, you're having a little dangle with the cards. But, you know, did you have an intuitive niggle that it was at the it end? Was. Yeah. Yes. And thank you for your, your comment that you, you like the fact that I found the courage. I appreciate you saying that. And, and I've sometimes, as it were, patted myself on the back too, that I did find <laughs> the courage. And, you know, it's, it's actually been huge. This thing that you're pointing out is actually huge because, um, there's a lovely, it's, it's expressed very nicely by Eileen Caddy, just pops in my mind. She's the lady who, who started the Fintorn Foundation. And she says, cease trying to work out everything in your mind. It'll get you nowhere. Live your life by intuition and by inspiration and let your life be revelation. And this is how I've learned to begin to live. And it is more real, far more uh, peace-filled and contentment-filled, but also it puts me in touch with life. The organizing principle that's underlying all of life can now work with me, through me, as me, because I'm open to this little intuitions that pop up more and more and it was kind of in a sense I mean big inverted commas but it was kind of like a big test you know and as you said a lot of people will be in a situation and they'll feel a niggle but they'll ignore it or they'll mm. you know they'll suppress it they'll put it aside it's too hard basket you know don't no no I don't want to go there you know kind of thing and I kind of <laughs> myself I, I, I did I, I grappled with it for several years four or five years, just this feeling would come up. And, oh, this is not right. I need to, oh, no, I can't do it, you know. And eventually I just managed to, somehow I did manage to uh, respond to this intuition that I needed to leave. And I'm so thankful that I did manage to do that because it's then opened the floodgates of my ability to be responsive to intuitions or, across the board all the time. So my life now does begin to be lived more by intuition. And this makes an, a life so much more satisfying. 
and so much more filled with contentment because I feel even though, you know, ch challenges and things come along, but I feel like I'm in sync with life. Yeah. And for a long, long, many years in my life, I was looking, looking, how does this all fit? How does life work? And I just didn't feel in sync with life. And the funny thing is, not so funny most of the time, actually, <laughs> but the funny, the funny thing is that the, the very thing that we think that we rely on as a guide in our life is the thing that actually gets in our way most of the time. And you know what that is? Our mind. Yeah. We are so identified with the thoughts that pop up and, and which almost all of which are conditioned from our earliest childhood. They're just programming, you know, and we and we live our lives most of us most of the time on automatic, playing out these conditioned patterns of thinking, of em emotion, of behavior, of experience. And our life takes a particular shape because of patterns of of functioning. Um and the ironic thing is that when we begin to question the, the, the thoughts that we usually just respond to and do the thing that the thought says, you know, well, I'm this kind of person or this is what I think, I'll go and do it. Because we don't really question them, our life becomes a reflection of conditioned patterns which are not reality. And because they're not reality, life can't be fulfilling because the life that we're experiencing is a reflection of something which is not based in reality. Yeah, and I truly believe that. I mean, I was speaking to someone just this week and I said, look, when we're born, we're born into a name that we didn't choose. So straight away, choices are being made for us. Me, like, I'm known as Shelley, but my actual name's Michelle. I don't like it, you know? So as soon as we're born, we're taking on things that aren't ours to take on. And it is like when you say like, oh, that's naughty, you should have done that, or you shouldn't have said that to them, that's wrong. And that's how we start to bring up, we think we're, you know, with the best intention in our heart as parents, teachers, carers, aunties, uncles, we're saying these things, think we're raising a polite child. But there's a lot of blame in it, isn't it? The words we use, sort of like, you shouldn't say that, you made them feel like that, you made me feel like that. And there is so much conditioning. And then we get older, we make it through all of these rules and regulations, and we get that inner niggle, that search thinking, I don't know if this is me. Again, it's a bit like an onion. You're peeling back like, I look like this on the outside, but inside, I didn't make them feel like that. They chose that. Is this my life purpose? And like your marriage, you know what I mean? It must have been so hard to sit there thinking, I have a good life, but then sometimes you need that leap of faith to have a great life. Okay. Yes, yes. And it's, as you say, you know, the mind can so easily come in and give reasons why I should be grateful for what I've got, so to speak. Yeah. You know, um, uh, and or the mind can come in was a good way you mentioned that word blame, because one of the, the, of course, the conceptual mind is a world of opposites. Yeah. Every concept has its opposite. And one of the core opposites that we get conditioned into operating out of is, of course, good and bad. Yeah. Right and wrong, good and bad. I'm good or I'm bad. What I said was good or it was bad. What I achieved was either good or bad. It was a failure or it was a success. We lay, and we, so we, so many of the thoughts that pop up in our mind about ourselves and about the people around us and the world around us are judgments. Yeah. And when you look at them, this is the amazing thing. You can never know that any judgment you make about anything can be true for certain. And when you start unhooking from this automatic 
judging conditioned mind, this is partly what allows so much peace to bubble up in our lives. Because who we are in reality is this peace-filled observing awareness. It's not like we need to become anything or achieve anything or get anything in order to become happy and contented in our lives. This is the strange myth that's out there in the world that we grow up in. You know, if you achieve this or if you become that or if you get that, uh, if you get this um, brownie point, you know, this uh, award or this, yeah. all sorts of things, This, if you earn a label of being good or you become a profession that's regarded as being good, you become a doctor or you become a this or whatever, you know, this will bring you peace and satisfaction. Myth, 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 myth. Because everything that's labeled good has its opposite of what's bad. And if we get some of the things that we label to be good, uh-oh, what about if I lose them? What about if something comes along, a situation arises, or a person comes into my life that presents some sort of threat to those things that are in my life that I think are good? So this, this looking for the, what's good is a very twin-edged sword because good doesn't exist without bad. But as William Shakespeare pointed out in uh, Hamlet, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Yeah. So it's only the conditioned mind that is tying our, uh, our emotions and our minds and our lives in knots because of all of this attachment to the things we think are good and the things that we think are bad. Yeah, and I'm thinking of, like, as you were saying, I was thinking of yin and yang, where you've got the dark and the light, and, like, we've got the night and day, but together it makes up the whole 24 hours. And I always say to my kids, there's no such thing as perfection. Do you know what I mean? If you do something which is deemed as naughty, it's not. Do you know what I mean? We've got good and bad, but I don't like it when people sort of hide their shadow side. Do you know what I mean? We've all got a little naughty side to us. Do you know what I mean? Like... I can be awfully polite, but I could also scream at someone if I really wanted to. And that's what makes yes. me whole. Do you know what I mean? I'm not angelic. <laughs> I have a dark side. And that is my yes. wholeness, you know. But the uh, Yes. But the funny thing is, there's not just the good and the bad, or the, or the yin and the yang, or the light and the dark. The interesting thing that I discovered about all this is that I'm not the bad things that I've said or believed about myself but I'm equally not the good things that I've mm -hmm. said or believed about myself. I'm neither of those things. And I'd like to give your listeners just a very simple taste of how they can begin to notice this about themselves. A very simple way is to think back to when they were a little kid, when they were six or eight or 10, did they feel like they were them? Most people get a nod and say, well, yeah, of course I did. I remember when I was about 10 and I felt like I was me. And what about in your mid-teens? Did you feel like you were you? Of course I did. When you were 20, 30, 40? Yeah, I felt like I was me. But has your body changed over those many years? Well, yeah, in big ways. And what about some of the things that you believe about yourself or people or the world? Have some of those beliefs changed? Well, yeah, lots of them have. Some of them are actually, as one, one, one person said to me recently, most of mine have done a 180, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe now the reverse of what I believe, you know, perhaps 10 years ago or whatever. Um, and what about the roles that you've had? Have they changed? Yeah, once I was a primary school student, then I was a high school student, then I was a shop assistant, and then I became uh, 
a nurse. I think you were a nurse, were you? Were I you was, yeah, till last year, at, yeah. At point <laughs> right. Now, so the interesting thing when we look at the various roles that we've had at different stages of our life, because they've changed, and yet I've always felt like I was me, the feeling of that I am me and I've always been me, that's a constant. So I'm not the body that I had when I was 10. I'm not the beliefs I had when I was 10 or 20 or 30. I'm not the roles I had. I'm not the nurse that I was. I'm not the school teacher in my case that I, I was. I'm not any one of another t 10 different jobs I've had at different times yeah. in my life. None of those were who I am. And so, well, who are you? Well, you're that, you're that uh, sense of being that's always been who, with you, always been you, most of the time kind of in the background of your life experience, but you've always felt like you were you. That, is, that constant is who you truly are. And that constant is actually when we uh, allow it to, to, to be there um, by, by questioning and dissolving thoughts and emotions that we kind of identify with, our identifying with those things is what masks the peace-filled, contentment-filled, joy-filled, playfulness-filled awareness, which is our true nature. So when we question, as we've been talking about, you know, our emotions and our thoughts and realize that we can't know for sure that they're true, they're not real, they just dissolve into dust. And what's left is who we truly are, presence, just here, fully aware, uh, calm, peace-filled, fun-filled, and that's that's what life becomes for people then as they as they do these these processes that I that I talk about in my in my book and that I've discovered for myself over many, many years, but in, in the last few years only, partly because of these very intensive challenges that I I confronted, I've been able to pull the essentials together in a way that makes it very simple to begin to live my life and to show other people how they can begin to live their life in a way that's very satisfying and uh, characterized by a lot of uh, contentment and, and uh, peace. Because we're living from the essence of who we are in reality, not from the conditioned patterns of thinking and emotion that we've tended mistakenly to identify with for so many years. Yeah. When I started this podcast, it actually started off as a solo show. It's just me and my book, Positive Changes, a self-kit book. And the second episode of the podcast was, who am I? And you make it sound quite simple, but I actually think it's quite complex of knowing who you are. Because on, on the back of my book, my blurb was kind of sort of like wife, mother, daughter, nurse, clinical hypnotherapy, general labeled being. And again, it comes back to the label, like you're labeling your emotions, but you're actually being labeled like, so I'm like Harrison's mum. Wesley's wife, Lynette's daughter, you know, I'm all those things. But when I think, who am I? I didn't really know at times, you know, and I went back to you need to do another course. And I think, oh, is this who I am? So you make it sound lovely and simple, but for me, it felt far more complex. And it's kind of taking those 10 minutes a day to sit there and see what comes up. And maybe that's why what you had when you had that niggle come up, you had a good marriage, but you had that niggle that I don't know, if this is who I am. So I think for some people, it might be really simple, quick light bulb moments, but for others, it is kind of finding peaceful moments and trusting what comes up because the head just comes in all the time going, but you're married, but you're a mum. 
yeah. yes yes well that's right the the way we generally live human beings generally live is that these things do come up automatically okay. uh like um can't think of the the phrase but they just they're running in every waking moment that the mind is just running 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 yeah. running running and initially it seems like a tremendously difficult thing to find the stillness um you know that that um, is at the back of all of that in actual fact it's not difficult at all and that's why i i, I specifically wanted to get in the name of my book made simple i've called the book spiritual awakening made simple because in actual fact it is very, very simple to come back. It takes only seconds when you when you read through the book, and the book itself is only a hundred pages. And it's not a book about you know concepts. It's not about oh, it might be tricky to really understand and get the gist of this. No, it's a book of self-discovery. A lot of um, little things people can do for themselves. Realizations they will that light bulbs that'll go off as they go as they read through. A lot of anecdotes from my personal life. Illustrations to show people, and in a way that they can discover for themselves how this works. That it only takes seconds to come back to the stillness of who we are now the trick is here not to look for a def the correct definition of who we are because the funny thing is that we can never know the conceptual mind can never know who i am because who i am is beyond the conceptual mind uh, and nothing i can perceive I look down at my body, you know, look at my hand. That's not who I am in my essence. So the funny thing is that who we truly are is not something we can know conceptually or perceptually. No, no thought that comes into my mind, no concept, no definition is who I am because I'm the awareness that notices any thoughts that pop up. I'm the awareness that notices my body and its functioning and so who we truly are is beyond the mind but it's nevertheless awareness it's formless awareness it has a lovely very very subtle quality indefinable quality of peacefulness contentedness often playfulness lovingness this is the essence of who we are without the definitions of those things. And then, you know, the, the mind goes into its games and then, yeah. but then you did this nasty thing. So you can't be loving, you know, blah. this is all mind games. And then you can quickly question those come out of identifying with the mind and back into the piece of who you are. Now you mentioned this thing about, you know, the thoughts that, that come up and the thoughts about who I am. And in the book, I explain three ways that we generally try to deal with troubling thoughts i won't go into them now because it might take me five or ten minutes even to summarize them but the three ways that we commonly use don't work we try to distract ourselves we try to suppress the thoughts we try to focus only on the good thoughts these methods don't work but it's very simple when you're shown how and i show in the book to use method four which is to question the thought do i know for certain that that thought is true and no conceptual idea and philosophers east and west ancient and modern so many of them have have drawn this conclusion no conceptual idea can ever be proven to be true for certain 
Uh, and when you realize that the thoughts that come up, you can't know they're true, then you're left with, when they collapse <laughs> in, onto the floor, you're left with the peaceful awakeness that you are. Fabulous. So your book is called Spiritual Awakening Made Simple, but then it's not very simple because it's got a very long tagline. So <laughs> is it called spiritual? <laughs> it's a slightly oxymoron. So it's called Spiritual Awakening Made Simple, How to See Through the Mist of the Mind to the Peace of the Here and Now. Yeah, it's, it's simple. It's not necessarily all the time easy. And it's not all the time short, <laughs> but it, but it, but it, like the like the subtitles, not short. And then I it almost <laughs> deliberately kind of made it like a bit of a longer one. How to see through the mist of the mind that we live in. Generally, we live in the call it a fog, call it a mist, you yeah. know, call it clouds, head in the clouds. We we tend as human beings to live our lives out uh, with in this mist of the mind. But how to see through the mist of the mind to the peace of the here and now, the presence that is our real nature. And I, I've put, I've, part of the reason I've said in the title, made simple, spiritual awakening made simple, and spiritual is just referring to this formless nature of who we are. That's why I say spiritual, it's just not material, it's not form uh, definable. So it's infinite, non-finite, spiritual, made simple because there's so much that's said and written about human identity and human happiness and spirituality, if you like to, um, that comes from the mind. And it's, it seems to be out in the world, you go into a library, you go into a bookshop, you go online, that there are so many opinions about all these things. It seems infinitely complex that's a myth it's a myth that's inevitable when we try to figure it all out in our mind and our mind loves nothing better than to uh, chew on a problem that's complicated or and it'll, yeah. the chewing on it makes it more complicated yeah. <laughs> you can look at it this way you can look at it that way you can look at it that way yeah what about this way yes you can look at it that way that's mind games but actually it's simple. Bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. There's so much food for thought. I just love it from the relationship side, the divination, the simplicity of it. Thank you. So if you want to reach out, I've got you down to your website, Awakening Made Simple, and then you're Andrew Seaton 101 on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. Uh, that's correct, yes. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your journey with us. Thanks, Shelley. It was fun talking with you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kickbook from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelley F. Knight, Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing. <laughs>